I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She, a podcast where women who are leaders in their industries, companies, and most importantly, their lives, share inspiring stories about obstacles they've overcome. 40 years of working in a male-dominated industry has prepared me for the task of interviewing these courageous, successful women and to share stories and insights of my own along the way. Listen up, future leaders. This is Leading She. In this episode, I interviewed Tilly Hidalgo-Lima, a confident and ambitious female entrepreneur. We cover topics such as the courage her parents had to escape the oppression of the Cuban regime to give her family a better life in the U.S. We also talk about setting boundaries around how she was treated and the importance of self-care. Tilly is, uh, give me your title. I'm the CEO of Best Upon Request. Yes, great. So glad to have you here. I'm excited about this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes. Yeah, to get started, I have to tell you, uh, I'm going to ask you about your background, but what I was, what the memory I have about Best Upon Request was these packages of Cincinnati things, you know, where where it's like Skyline Chili and Frishes. Do I have a memory about that correctly in terms of the roots of Best Upon Request or not? So it started in 1989, so we're celebrating our 30-year anniversary this year. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's a big milestone yes, in, in uh, business. Right. So the first entity was more uh, serving tenants in buildings. I see. And they may have had packages like that um, to highlight Cincinnati, but we were in multiple states at that time. Mm-hmm. And then Dave, my husband, was the founder of Best Upon Request Corporate Inc., and he um, bought those agreements from that first entity. And so his idea was to look at adding errand running convenience services to you, your image of a concierge who solves or finds or and um, uh, provides solutions for whatever needs you may have. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack-of-all-trades kind of um, role that a concierge has. Concierge means keeper of the keys. Hmm. So it's a high-trust relationship mm-hmm. that we have with our customers. Right. And um, let's talk about um, your background. You and I know each other from the YWCA of Greater Cincinnati. Yes. We both served on the board, and we were a career women of achievement. And that's yes. how I've gotten to know you, although I think I knew you before. I think so, too. And uh, the Career Woman of Achievement, Career Women of Achievement Award is a prestigious award here in Cincinnati that honors women that have made contributions in their career, do a lot of nonprofit work, and just, you know, standouts within within different industries with racial diversity. And I always love it when they pick an entrepreneur. And you it do is. too, I know. I love that because business, uh, women business owners, it's, um, it's a growing trend. And just to be able to highlight um, the work that we do and um, how we're able to be successful, as well as how we lift as we climb. Yes. And the work that we do in community service, um, that is, is very... Um, Exciting to see when we get the limelight to be able to share our stories. Mm-hmm. And let's start before I have some questions for you. Um, 
let's start with your background because it's really unique. And I just, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about your bio. Your bio, you have a long bio and your short bio, and your long bio is pretty impressive. I mean, a lot of awards, a lot of recognition, and all well deserved, of course. But give me your background. Where did you grow up? Where did you, you know, what was your childhood like, your parents? Well, thank you. Um, it's a blessing to be in the United States. We escaped the brutal repression of the Castro regime when they took over uh, in Cuba in 1959. And after the Bay of Pigs invasion, April of 1961, we escaped the following month, May 8th. And I was 10 months old. My mom was 21, my dad was 26, and my dad worked against the revolution. And so we had 13 militia come with automatic weapons to our home because we were harboring a fugitive that was uh, communicating in the underground. And so the courage that my parents have instilled in me um, is what really is is a driver because when you are a refugee, you come not knowing what how you're going to get through. And there were so many God moments, so many miracles along the way, how mm. we escaped. And so my parents have taught me a lot about faith. Mm. And um, even when we got to the airport, um, our tickets were uh, supposed to be round trip. But originating out of Miami at the time, the regime had said no more um, professionals leaving and no more round trips outside of Cuba. So by the grace of God, somebody who worked in the underground at that checkpoint said, let me change those tickets for you. To have a round trip ticket. To originate from Havana to Miami. Okay. Because the original tickets originated in Miami. And so he canceled that part, and so we only took the last leg, which was the only one we wanted, was mm -hmm. out of uh, Cuba. So it's just, um, it's just seeing how my mom was so street smart. She had everything translated, everything notarized. Um, they had closed the university, so my dad wasn't able to bring his diploma mm. that showed that he was a chemical engineer graduate. Mm. And so it was really hard when we first came. Um, Catholic Charities in Miami helped us, so a United Way agency, and uh, gave us a hundred dollars once we landed. We be when when let me back up when we were um, arriving in customs, uh, the customs agent asked welcomed us, and my dad said, "I'd like to declare asylum. I fear for my life." Mm. And many of their friends were shot firing squad for being political prisoners, mm. for political reasons. Many of them were put in prison as political prisoners. Um, you could not practice your Catholic faith um, at that time. In Cuba? In Cuba. Mm -hmm. Communists or atheists. Mm. So they had already expelled a wow. lot of the religious, a lot of the priests. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go to church. Yeah. Um, so for religious freedom and even our own liberty, they felt that they needed to have me leave as a baby because the Cuban Manifesto at age three, the child no longer belongs to you as parents. They belong mm. to the state. And that's wow. where the indoctrination begins. Mm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of immigrants came to this country, didn't they, for religious freedom? Right. That's really the foundation of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people coming here is yeah. to express their religion uh, freely without any um, any guidance or any uh, any rules by the government. Right. Um, so your parents, that is that is huge. So you're nine years old, right? Well, or, I was ten months old when we ten escaped. Ten months old when you escaped. So your parents, 
um, are showing you the courage, you know, that just is some incredible courage to say, this is so bad here and we fear for our lives, we fear right. for our children, that we are going to take the risk that right. life in the U.S. is better. We've heard that it's better. We're going to take the risk and it means starting over, right? So starting you, they, for, with nothing with because nothing. we had 10 pesos, but they were worthless. We only had one suitcase. Most of it was full of cloth diapers, mm. <laughs> no pampers back then. Right. Did and you have siblings? I, my mom was pregnant with Maria, my okay. sister who was born a month after we came okay. um, to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, when we arrived in Miami, uh, we chose to fly to Atlanta three days later. That's where family was. And so in times like that, you depend on family as best you can. So we were one of the last family members to escape because my dad was hoping that with the support of the CIA, we would be able to have an insurrection across the country, and that Mm -hmm. didn't happen. What does that mean, insurrection? So there was going to be um, shortwave radio um, announcement that there was going to be an opportunity to take arms all over the island, not just at the entry point of the Bay of Pigs invasion. Mm. And that notification never happened. And so then my dad knew he went to his one person um, who he would work with in the underground, and they said, you need to leave immediately. So there's all sorts of other things that went in to make Mm -hmm. that journey that took so much courage. Even the night of the 13 militia, they started being very um, belligerent, and somehow my dad was able to diffuse that by saying, hey, I'm an engineer, I'm running this plant, this plant is to build uh, concrete blocks to help build in the countryside, and then by the end of the night, which was like three or four hours, um, they started calling him Ingeniero Hidalgo. Ingeniero is that he was an engineer, and so they gave him... Um, that respect that at first that wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when they found some things like too many baby food jars, there was food rationing at the time. So my dad was able to explain that. And so just that courage to speak truth mm-hmm. is something that has also helped me so much in how I've uh, raised my daughters, mm-hmm. how I've built our business. Conducted your business. So, uh, with your father and your mother, the courage it took to come here, you know, and how did, what did that teach you? Tell me more about the courage part of this, you know, around what they showed you. You were only 10 months old, so you didn't right. see it, but you heard the stories. You yes. knew what had happened to get to come to this country. So what did the, what did the courage do for you as, you know, a woman, a mother, and, and in your business? What did that mean? Well, courage, when I think about and look back on experiences. For me, courage is like a muscle. You have to use it to get it to be more courageous. And so getting out of my comfort zone, um, that's where you stretch and grow, but it does take enormous fortitude, enormous courage uh, to overcome what I call limiting beliefs. And so when we have limiting beliefs that can hold us back of who we are meant to be, our God-given talents and how we can make an impact with um, 
with courage. And so uh, I just saw them as such great role models. Um, my mom was such a, a huge advocate of each of us um, going to college and graduating and then uh, creating an impact in the community. They both volunteered. Um, it was just part of who we were uh, growing up. And so I wanted to instill that same um, energy and and drive but it starts with courage. Right. And another saying that I have is that fortune favors the bold. If we don't have that courage or being bold, we won't be able to attract. Right. Um, and people like to follow courageous people. Right, leaders, right? Leadership. That's what this is about, That's... women leadership. And I've heard it said that you cannot have courage without fear. Yeah. Right. There's a combination. You recognize that there's fear. Right. Somehow you're able to overcome, overcome it. the thoughts that prevent that you from moving wrong. forward. Right. And and I'm going to say this. I think women sometimes have fear of uh, what what if I take this new job? What if I yeah. start this company? You know, what will happen? And, you know, I can do this. I can tend to go to the negative. But I think what the opportunities are. You know, and I say, I'm going to do it anyway, because I have a fallback position. Here's what my fallback position is. But be bold, you know, and we hear Brene Brown talking yes. about courage, you know, dare. Daring greatly. Daring greatly. I mean, great books. I Rising most strong. Brene Brown and daring greatly. And it's the man in the arena or the woman in the arena who took the risk. Right, Roosevelt. And so I think about Teddy Roosevelt's um, quote on that. And when I read Daring Greatly, it was like that person took a chance. And um, it does take um, a risk to have a reward. You can have high risk and you have high reward. But what I heard you say, which I also love to say, is be prepared. Come prepared. Um, plan B. And right. so you're working on a on a path. And then at some point, you have to trust that how you're being led yourself with your inner voice and removing those limiting beliefs um, for young women to find their voice, to take a chance and um, build relationships. Mm -hmm. And that um, has really served me well. Yeah. Talk and about the finding your voice and having the courage to say out loud what uh, what your needs are, setting boundaries, um, and we, I'm sure we have some stories there, but um, what do you see with young women as far as speaking up? Um, we talked about executive presence. What does that mean for you? Executive presence is standing tall, not, not cowering. So I once had someone say, live all the way out to your skin. Mm. And I love that because- live all the way out to your skin. Mm-hmm. Because it's the inside that can retract and and become small. Mm -hmm. And so there's just something about making that decision. It's, it's a line that you step across in your mind to take on whatever is a, ahead of you, uh, a difficult conversation or what we call fierce conversation. And so it's finding that voice to share your observations, share from your experience, and not hold back. So, and use your instincts. Would you say that too? Would th you? That's it, like instincts, intuition. Yes, you're hearing intuition, something, instincts. and not being afraid because you think you're going to hurt someone's ego, especially if there's men in the room. Mm -hmm. 
to speak the truth. It has never held me back. Mm -hmm. Speaking truth, even if it's with a client that says, the liaison of our of this program, the investment you're making is not being realized with someone who's being um, micromanaging. Their their style is um, not letting. It's it's a lack of trust. And if mm -hmm. you can find the the courage and and um, to instill truth into the conversation, that has always served well. Mm -hmm. The truth does set you free when you're speaking. Is. This is my yeah. observation. Here's how I feel about it. Here's what may be at risk if we don't address it. So what do you want to do? Put it out there. Right. And so and that's... be vulnerable. Have courage, just like the Brene Brown message, yes. okay? Going back to that, the vulnerability, the courage. And uh, it's a new way of leading, you know, today. I think, I think that when you are vulnerable... That creates connection, mm -hmm. and does. that it creates can. an opportunity where it's like, wow, if she can do that, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like that's so unlikely, but strength is not about power and control or command and demand or command and control. And those are male uh, male uh, habits, uh, mm -hmm. typically. Not, it's not a hierarchy. It's the it's military a power control. You know, whereas if you become a sensor for the organization and you share what your observations are, better decisions are made at that level instead of top down. Mm -hmm. and tell me a little bit more about the services your company provides, and I want to talk about your maternity concierge service uh, with Fifth Third in particular. And I just I love that story about surveying the. Uh, the women of the company and the need that was found and how you met it. Let's talk about that. It was in the Wall Street Journal. You were on the Today Show around this maternity concierge service. This is such a game changer, an innovative idea that was sparked by Teresa Tanner. Yes, with Fifth Third, who's she's uh, the uh, head of the human resources. She at the time was CHRO, Chief Human Resource Officer. She's now Chief Administrative Officer, and she had been listening and. Um, um, in focus groups, how supportive are we as a bank when you are expecting your your baby, when you're pregnant? What's it like to be on maternity leave and how challenging is it when you come back? And so the purpose for her to have these focus groups was to find out how the journey to leadership, were there any barriers? And this one was a big one. Mm -hmm. And so she came to me and said, I've got an idea. We've had the classic concierge powered by Best Upon Request for several years. And what if you created a program that was proactive, um, that reached out to women once they let you know that they are pregnant, and create a unique program? And I said, Teresa, this is so amazing because there is nothing like this in the country. We had done a lot of research. No provider, no, no employer had ever thought so out of the box and so willing to support women. So Teresa and Fifth Third Bank in the first six months had probably um, $6 million in positive PR. Mm. It was outstanding. Like you said, we were in the Wall Street Journal. We were on the Today Show. We were in Par Parents Magazine. We were in Fast Company. We were in Forbes. Mm -hmm. and um, Revolutionary. So these women are saying to Fifth Third, you are not supporting us as working mothers. Right. And Teresa and the executives, I'm sure, of Fifth Third heard that and said, 
we want to change that and yes. what can we do? And then the maternity concierge part is really about kind of 30,000 feet saying, we know we value you as a, an employee. You're a female employee. You're going to be, you know, you may start a family. You're expecting. We want to support that. We don't want to say, okay, when are you leaving? When are you coming back? And then go back to work and daycare, you're on your own. So how? what kind of things would you do for a woman on maternity leave? Or what, what, what uh, services did you provide? So the... Um Development of the program was based on Teresa's vision that Fifth Third Bank will be an employer that celebrates life mm-hmm. and celebrates women as they uh, achieve and continue to uh, have a journey to excellence in their best talents and how we can look at attracting and retaining women. Mm-hmm. And so there were too many women leaving the workforce. And so the work that we do is the first consultation is to understand once a woman is pregnant, she comes forth and lets us know. So it is well uh, communicated of how safe these women come to our concierges and see our concierges as confidants and helping hands. Mm -hmm. They could talk to us about anything um, in their life. It doesn't have to be just pregnancy related. Although we have many uh, great checklists and uh, here's what to expect when you're expecting, similar to the mm-hmm. book, right. but even more so. It, so imagine um, for wedding planning, the not website. Yes. We become that um, helping hand that develop, has developed over time. W- timelines. And here's what to think about in month one, month two, all the way through until what they call the fourth trimester, which is Mm -hmm. when your baby is a newborn. And then how do you have the confidence to feel like I am prepared, um, I'm not afraid. And so... Those that support right. has been tremendous. We've served over 500 women in 10 states, mm-hmm. over 100 cities. Wow! So I remember saying, Teresa, we need to track the data so we can show that this work is really beneficial. And mm-hmm. so to date, those women who use the service, the tw- the retention rate is 25 percent more mm. than those who did not use concierge maternity concierge. These women are appreciating that the bank and the company is supportive of their pregnancy and not saying, you know, hey, you're pregnant. When are you coming back? You know what? what, You know, and this is going to be disruptive to our business. Supportive. This is a part of life. We have children. You and I are career women. We had children. You had three girls. I have a a girl and a boy. And and so I was back at work. Um, I had a unique experience uh, with uh, my company at the time when I had my son in 1992, almost 27 years ago now, uh, where there was a nurse that was working with my company, and she wanted to bring in a breast pumping uh, stations for women that came back. And I was sort of a guinea pig around this. And so I took advantage of it, you know, and... I was able to continue to breastfeed my son for, I think, six months, five or six months. 
That's that was rare back then. Ninety two. That yeah. was rare back it then. It was. So we became a consultant in so many ways because as we were listening to the women share some opportunities for improvement, OFI is what we like to say that that way. Um they shared they didn't know where the um they were calling them lactation rooms and we said, let's call them nursing mothers rooms. Mm. And Teresa said, I want them to be beautiful. I want them to be known where they are. And so we worked with facilities to first identify where are they? People didn't know. How do they um, sign up for them on a calendar basis? So Mm -hmm. we helped with that Mm -hmm. uh, process. And Jesse Lima Bolin, who's my daughter, who is our VP of Marketing and Communications, became the spokesperson for all the feedback that we were receiving. And it was so well received the way she had done also additional research on what best practices are on nursing mothers' rooms, on are you providing the benefit of your women who travel the opportunity to have breast milk shipped back. And that became a new benefit, uh, having milk ship back and the and the company Fifth Third Bank paid for that. Oh, that's and so wonderful. just even the halo effect of this program, there were so many people, men and women, who said this matters so much. I'm so grateful that my company, Fifth Third Bank, is so progressive, has listened and p- executed right. on something so important. Responded to a need like that. What a great example of a company seeing what women need, working yes. women, and coming back, building loyalty among them. And it benefits the bank because yes. they will stay. Look what this bank did for me, and I'll rise, my children will grow, I'll raise them, and then continue to rise within the bank. So, Teresa just received the uh, Trailblazer Award from the Ohio River Valley Women's Business mm. Council. Uh, so That's that w- the one that supports women-owned uh, businesses. Correct. I had a women-owned business. You have a women-owned business. Yes. And so, yeah, that's the same. Yes. So they got the trail. Bra- she got the Trailblazer Award. Yes. That's great. Um, let's talk about a little about. Uh, you have a president and chief operating officer, Bill Mills. Yes. And you decided in 2018 to relinquish your role of president, and you remain CEO. So you're the head. Head guy, head woman. Yes. Uh, and Bill Mills is your president and chief operating officer. And as entrepreneurs, and even in my business, as I sold my business, I have to develop business. I have to go out there. So the role that I have versus one, uh, we've interviewed some corporate women within this podcast, uh, but but as a woman entrepreneur, it's different. We uh, have an obligation to for revenue in our company to develop business. And so we need to call customers and we bring kind of a female energy, you know, to developing business. And when you and Bill go out on calls together and you're trying to develop, generate business, um, tell me about maybe an example of uh, how you've seen opportunities for Bill to bring more of his energy as a man and yours. You know, tell me about business development as an entrepreneur, as a woman. So Bill has been with us now seven years. So last May, when I promoted him to president and COO, it was a real turning point um, for me because it was about letting go. I had been president and CEO for 15 years. And it was right before I took a sabbatical and I was gone for eight weeks. And so it really demonstrated to him my trust in his ability and leadership 
And um, what I have found is that we work very collaboratively, and it's very um, much of a team approach. And so in a conversation with a prospect, if I feel that the relationship between the prospect and myself um, is there's there might be some barrier to that relationship, I'm able to then say, Bill, you take the lead. And so it's going to be best for the company. It doesn't need to be me as the right. first or the best or the mm-hmm. most in a relationship. So really subordinating your ego and saying yeah. the client is connecting with, with Bill in a way that I'm not connecting with them, being instinctive about that, seeing it, and having and surrendering to him, right? To Well, I would say it's having enough ego strength. Yeah to acknowledge, recognize, and have self-awareness that I may have been triggered or the other person uh, has a better connection. And so it's it's stepping back in a way to f- move forward. Yes. Sometimes that's called slowing down to move for- faster. So it's taking a pause and taking a look at what is what going to be best for the relationship and best um, for the company the partnership was best for the company right so i would say that i don't let my ego get in the way to mm-hmm. charge in and and take over mm-hmm. and make it happen mm-hmm. it's realizing that um i can um have an opportunity to you use the word relinquish or release mm-hmm. um, so that we can receive. And that's my theme this year, release mm-hmm. and receive. Release and receive. I like that. Uh, but in the case of Teresa Tanner at Fifth Third, though, I mean, there's a woman-to-woman connection. Hey, we've had, yep. I assume she has children, right? Yes, Teresa. she has so two. We, She's a new grandma. A career woman. Of, and uh, so we, you know, we know what that was like and knew what what it was like, what that experience was like. So you connected woman to woman in that Absolutely. case. And, and now that can, that can happen. Um, Bob Schaefer is the new CHRO or has been for a year or so. And so that connection, Bob and I, um, as well as Bill and Bob and I, it's just been really, mm-hmm. um, well, it just feels really great. Mm-hmm. And so we listen to one another. There's a lot of respect. And um, it was really special to have the relationship with Teresa because it was, um, and most of my relationships with all our our clients are personal as well as professional. Mm-hmm. Tell me about tell me about setting boundaries around um, for women. What you tolerate, you know, and tolerating things, and give me an example of a situation where. Um, you set a boundary and and respected yourself and respected how you want to be treated and so forth. Give me a, a story. So one of my Tilly-isms is uh, what you tolerate says a lot about who you are. What you tolerate says a lot about who you are. Exactly. I like that. And so when you allow someone to disrespect you, it really creates a, a, something that's incongruent. It feels like um, that you've accepted someone to put you down or diminish you, and that's not good for your soul. Mm-hmm. And so I have a board of advisors. I've had one since 2005, and um, the board is very diverse, men and women, backgrounds, experiences, expertise. Mm-hmm. And I had a board member at the time who, in a board meeting, 
um, stood on the soapbox and basically shamed me by saying, you don't have your head on straight. And um, it was very disrespectful. Personal attacks, really. It was. you. How I was thinking, what point. I was doing. And it was, now, I, 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 it did not sit well with me. And I could no. not allow that to happen again. Were people talking to you about it in the board? Kind of like, what, so what? You know? two of the board um, of advisors are women, and they came to me and said, you need to address this, or we're going to address it ourselves. Mm. What we witnessed was so unacceptable. It was so shocking that at the time, um, no one said anything. It, and I did everything I could to hold back the tears mm. because it was hurtful. Right. And I just waited till the very end, and then I did some deep thinking mm-hmm. how I was going to... You paused, right? You the pause, right? yes. The pause, Take yes. a pause. Take a pause. Assess and realize this person's not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I did find the courage to reach out and say, hey, can we have lunch? And so I explained my observation, and I said to him... This really, our relationship works really well one on one, but not in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And he said, Well, then I'm going to resign right now. And I said, I accept your resignation. Do you think that surprised him? Completely surprised him. Because he was throwing it out, I'll resign then. And then you said, Okay, that yes. works for me. And so I accepted the power, it. the bullying, yeah. you know, of you know, making his point through personal attacks toward you in a group like that. He wasn't able to apologize, although he realized by just insinuating that what he had said or had done was not acceptable or inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if many people had had the courage to let him know that he had crossed a boundary. Right. He'd been getting away with it. I think so, right. because he has very big ego, and he was going to tell me how to run my company. And I thought, wait a minute, he's an advisor. I'm paying him to be an advisor. And at that time, it was not working well. And so I thought, well, something needs to change. And so it's going to have to be my mm-hmm. approach. And so it worked out. Did you it was fine. Think, uh, I've seen him since, and it's been mm-hmm. very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he respects me more. Yeah, he probably does. Uh, but do you think he would have treated... A man heading a company in the same way? Great question. Great question. You're pausing to respond. <laughs> Silence gives you an answer to my <laughs> to your question, right? I I don't know. Uh, we can surmise. We can surmise that maybe. Yep. But the message for you and, and to women out there is there's a way I expect to be treated to yes. honor myself. And you crossed a boundary with me, and I am setting a boundary with you. You cannot talk to me like that one-on-one or in a group, and I won't allow it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that was surprising um, to him, Mm -hmm. and um, it gave me more courage for the next time. That's great. And so I found it really um, disconcerting or surprising that, Another person said, and she was a woman, well, how could you have done that? Hmm. You know, that almost like, well, that hurt his feelings. And right. I said, I was very respectful. Mm-hmm. And stick so, to the facts. I, that's you know, exactly right. You stick to right. the facts, stay professional. The way you talk to me doesn't work to, uh, with, you know, for me. Yes. And yeah. so he says, I'm, uh, then I'm going to yeah. resign. Good. <laughs> we, it's also helped me that when I've seen that a client 
or an individual at the client site does not respect my team, our team. And so um, there's even that where we had a client who was a new uh, person head of HR, and he was very dismissive of um, our uh, VP of client services and uh, Bill at the time. Mm. And I reached out to the CEO and I um, said, this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so what I have found when I have had those kind of conversations is it's it's not just happening to us. It's happening to others. Happening so to that others. behavior, right. once you shed the light, it's like, is this happening elsewhere? Mm-hmm. And then you find out, oh, yes. It is happening elsewhere. And good for you for standing up because a lot of people tolerate it. And there's a tendency, and I think we find this in Cincinnati, Ohio, where people don't want to ruffle fle- feathers. They don't. They want to remain polite. and so Or they, nice. Or nice. And they, nice, Midwest nice, right? And so we, we tend to be polite when we don't have to get angry and get emotional about it. You stick to the facts, you know, and you say, you say your truth, just like exactly. you said. Exactly. He was very uh, appreciative. We had, he and the CEO of the client and I had had a very good relationship. And um, I let him know that if he he has a new CHRO or a new head of HR, we'd be happy to re-engage. But we needed to disengage because of the, Mm -hmm. uh, they crossed the line with being disrespectful. And then the relationship, everything we tried to make it work, Mm -hmm. it, it had it become toxic. Right. And I did that with another client. And it's, it's not to say, I just feel like life is too short. Well, and you so, have a culture within your company, right? And you're yes. looking for customers that match your culture. The values. And that are fit. And you can keep working to try to get them to fit yeah. into your culture. But in the end, yes. you've had such success with your company. You were out of debt in August 2012, I read. And it's like, you don't need customers that don't fit your culture and your way of doing business, right? So you set boundaries. I love business because we are providing a solution that's innovative, that takes care of things that are burdensome or out of scope. And it's um, it's a new line item. So sometimes it's challenging. But when we have partners that see what a difference we're making in their strategy, that really fills my heart. It mm-hmm. it makes me realize that what we're providing in the marketplace is so special because and we're it's a high touch, high tech, mm-hmm. yet we're very outcome and results focused based sure. on our values. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um I want to go back to something you said about May 2018 with letting go, kind of surrendering, and the eight-week sabbatical. I'm curious about that. What did you do, or what uh, What was the reason for the eight-week sabbatical? It was a real process to get to that eight weeks. One of my friends, Kelly Downing, who's the CEO of Bartlett Wealth Management, she yes, is I know a, Kelly. She, um, also another career woman of achievement. Yes. She was my role model when it came to going for it. And she said, I'm using this time away to refresh, to come re-energized. And it's a great way to, from a succession planning uh, perspective because then you want to see how does your team uh, work and make decisions and 
um, eight weeks is a good time to see see how they do. And um, at first I thought four weeks, no, six weeks, and then finally eight weeks. <laughs> eight weeks is a long time. It I'm is. proud of you. Especially You're a hard worker. with being the owner of the company. Yes, right. And so it just showed high trust. Did and you promote Bill before that? In May. And then I in was May. gone June and July. June and July. Yes. And so what did you do? Uh, traveled. Traveled. I love to travel. So me, the me first too. week yeah. was with family in New Jersey, one week home, uh, two weeks in Florida, one week home, and then three weeks in Spain, oh. which was so special because we retraced the trip I took when I was 12 years old with my abuela Carmita. Mm. And so we started in Madrid and did all of Andalusia, southern Spain. And so it was... What was the Spanish word you said uh, um, earlier? The... You said something in Spanish. I didn't. I don't know Spanish. So in Madrid, we went to Madrid and Andalusia. Okay, Andalusia is is the area of southern Spain. I see. Okay, yes. yes. Right. So we went to Cordoba. We went to Granada, Sevilla, Marbella. It was so amazing, and I got to use my Spanish, and sure. it was like my study abroad program. That's, That's what I great. told Dave. Um, now, did you check in with work, or did you trust? But it went on. You did not check in. With I did work. not, and that is so Eight weeks. Um, I did not look at my emails, and that was part of the policy that um, we created to really distance uh, myself from the company, so I could be really focused on energizing mm-hmm. and um, evaluating, and just thinking about my impact, my life. Um, although I have to tell you, my board said, "Wait a minute, you're already in violation." I said, what do you mean? He, she said, you're going to the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalist gala. I said, well, <laughs> that is a recognition that we received last year. I mean, give so, me a break. I so wanted to get that. So. We did um, fly up there uh, to Cleveland for the gala. My parents came with us. Wow. And then... Uh, my team, Bill and, and Katie was there, and so was Teresa Tanner, Great. and that just made me feel so honored that mm-hmm. she would take time out of oh. her busy schedule to be there. Yeah. Um, very supportive. Yes. So you went on the sabbatical eight weeks, didn't check email, and so what would you say to women around balance and fun and doing things like that? It's really about self-care, and um, when I... During Best University, and we just had one last week, um, I share how there's a continuum of self. And for women, this is really important. Uh, you can be selfish, self-serving, and it's very noticeable when you're so narcissistic like that. Your behaviors really say, it's all about me. And then you could be on the other uh, um, extreme, the martyr. It's all about selfless and be, I'm the doormat. I'll doing do whatever. For others, not doing for, for myself. And it, right. there's a part of that that I like um, that is about giving, but it's not in the center. It, it's it's not fulfilling. And yeah, so, in self-sacrifice the, involved all the time. Yes, to do that. It's, but this is at the extreme, right? And so maybe it's because it's when I think about the enneagram, the two is the giver, but at the extreme, it's all about making themselves feel important. Yes, right. The two so, energy. And look the what Enneagram. I do, look what I do for you. Right. The two yeah. not being resourceful. Right. In the center is what I call self care, is knowing that you are a giver, but that you need to love yourself, fill yourself up, 
have confidence, um, take care of yourself, whether it's it's a walk in the park or beauty or a spa appointment, that that is something you deserve. Mm-hmm. And so um, that um, I had to counter that because my mom was a little bit more on this side uh, with the martyr. And so when I would go get my nails done, she would say, oh, que buena vida. Like, oh, what a good life. I'm like, hey, I deserve this. <laughs> Taking care of yourself, yes. right, mom? <laughs> and I've encouraged my own daughters. So we have spa days. Thing. Sure. I've done that with my daughter. We went yeah. to Miami for a long girls weekend uh, in March, and it was wonderful. Got massages and pedicures and uh, had dinner together. It was wonderful. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the Enneagram first, because I, the listeners may not know what the Enneagram is. It is uh, a concept of nine personality types, and it, it's very old. And I think there's a, there's a lot to this. I'm an eight, type eight, with a seven wing. So if you want to know more about the Enneagram, there is a website, Enneagram Worldwide. And if you kind of search Enneagram Worldwide, and you can take a test on there. And what is your type? You have a triad, sort of a triad type. So we use Dr. Wagner's um, work um, and his assessment. And that one is really unique. Instead of being typed, the assessment shares with you where you're most resourceful in each of the nine types, personality types, and where you're non-resourceful. So it gives you a whole, like a picture of you holistically. And Mm -hmm. I love that because it shows that I'm a three, which he calls the effective person. Mm -hmm. It's also about performance in some Enneagram um, discussions. And um, I have eight as another high resourceful, some eight eight energy there, and yeah. then of two, which oh, is giver. the giver, mm-hmm. and so I love that it's our our quest is to be as well rounded as we develop, um, and so it's it's looking at how we wake up to the realization that all nine numbers are beautiful, Mm -hmm. wonderful. And so I was in awe when we did this exercise with Dr. Wagner's assessment. And our uh, executive team, we have all the nine numbers. Oh, wow. And so it's like beautiful how it all worked out that way. And so it's recognizing and not boxing someone in by their type. And that's the challenge with some of these types mm. of personality oh, right. styles. And right. and so it's understanding that this is a, um, it brings you what we call soul clarity. Mm-hmm. And when you yeah. know yourself as a leader, you're aware of when you're triggered. I know as a three, I can get very impatient. Mm. And I can say my threeness my non-resourceful three is coming out, and so I need to relax with it because I want to achieve. And so, just understanding that um, in time, mm-hmm. we'll we'll get there. Yeah, for me, I, it, it's really helped my marriage. My husband is a five, and so he's a head type, and he needs energy and. He can need time alone, and so it's helped our marriage uh, understand each other. And really, the Enneagram helps you understand the personality types, where your attention and energy go. Exactly. And you can have an evolved eight. Yes. Or you can have a triggered eight, and that's power and control. And then three and eight are look-alike types. Yes. You know that, right? Yes. So they're look-alike types, but they're different where their attention and energy go. Yes. I want to end with... uh, one last question as we're running out of time. Um, tell me a little about 
um, what you have witnessed, maybe a story about men respecting women with names they think maybe are harmless. And we've talked about this. We were both, I was in Vistage, you're still in Vistage, CEO roundtable, CEO group. And uh, the guys calling the women, you know, the girls back at the office. I have one business associate who said she has one male business associate that calls her and calls her kiddo. And it aggravates her, it triggers her, and, and she doesn't like the, the name kiddo. And so he wouldn't call men kiddo. It, it seems condescending and diminishing, right, to say kiddo right, or right. honey. Some of the older guys I'll let call me honey. But, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you think about some of these names that men call women and what they, what they mean or what the, the respect part of this? I think there's so much more awareness of what um, is acceptable in the business setting and even in the non-business setting. In the group that I was the only woman in, there was a lot of men in construction. And the women in the office were referred to as the girls. Mm. And I spoke my truth in that setting and I said, are those women valuable to you? And he said, well, of course they are. They do this, this, and that. We couldn't run the business without them. I said, do you think by calling them girls that that brings value to who they are and the impact they're making on your business? And I think the message was well received. Mm -hmm. Well, you deliver it in such a soft way, you know. I mean, my eight energy might come through and say, why are you calling them girls? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. You know, kiddo, honey, girls, it uh, diminishes our power and doesn't respect us as equals, would you say? I think words matter. Mm -hmm. Words matter deeply names, to people. Names matter. names matter. In healthcare, we're very involved with the Barrel Institute on patient experience and empathy and mm -hmm. so we had a story that was shared where a former Marine was in the hospital bed. And the nurse, thinking it was so positive, came in and called him, hello, sunshine. And he was um, felt disrespected mm. because of his military background. And so asking what's the best way for us to refer to one another. What's, yes. What name do you want to be called? I don't like to be called Matilde. No one ever says it right. They'll say Matilda. And so... Is that your name? That's Matilde. Ana Cristina oh, so that is Tilly my is name. Short for, Tilly is short for Matilde. You don't like t Matilda. It's, people don't know how to say it right in Spanish. Ah. It's Matilde with an E on the end instead Matilde. of Matilda. Mm. And so I said, call me Tilly. And so I've gone to my doctor's appointments and one woman said, I'm not going to call you that because this is what it says on your profile, on your patient, um, on your insurance card. I said, I would like for you to call me Tilly. And so <laughs> I, I had this little old lady who also said they never call my name right. I think names mm -hmm. matter. Yeah. And it's, it's how, how they make you feel. How they make you feel. They, how how you regard me. Yes. You know, how do you regard this other person? Yes. You regard them as kiddo, a girl, yeah. honey. That's you know? diminishing. It's not very, it, um, um, it doesn't respect the relationship or it's, it's a parent-child relationship when that happens. A man wants to be in the parent-child instead of adult to adult. Mm -hmm. So we want adult to adult um, relationships. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, Tilly. It's been great. It's I've been a really pleasure. I've really enjoyed this, and uh, congratulations on all your success, Thank all your you. awards, and your company. It's it's really meeting a lot of, you know, women's needs as they work yep. and employee needs. I saw a, 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 on the website a, one of the doctor burnout and your concierge service Absolutely. around that. So. Congratulations, and thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Real honor. Please make sure and visit Tilly's company's website, bestuponrequest.com. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at LeadingShe, and visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders. 